Season 3 of The Next Unicorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash unicorn. And Broker's Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Okay, everybody, next on the program is Mike Bell. He is the CEO of Miso Robotics. And as you know, we have a shortage of people who want to work in manual labor, repetitive tasks. And I have been a big believer and investor in robotic companies. Uh, we have Cafe X making coffee, uh, which has been doing great uh, since the pandemic uh, started to wane and their machines are back up and running at SFO. Thank the Lord, man, the pandemic was hard on some companies. Uh, and then also, we uh, were investors in root.ai, which was using computer vision and robotics to pick strawberries. Miso Robotics is working on a very interesting <laughs> startup. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about what Miso Robotics does. Yeah, Jason, I'm happy to. Thanks for having me on. So Miso Robotics designs and builds AI and robotic solutions for the restaurant industry. We're best known for Flippy. Flippy is um, one of our products. And Flippy is um, a robotic arm that goes on an overhead rail over a fry station or a grill station in the back of the house for typically a quick serve restaurant and does just what the name implies. It flips burgers or cooks fries. Uh, the company's been in R&D mode for the last four years. And right now, as we're talking, we're just entering uh, the phase of the company. We're, we're beginning commercial production and shipping in volume. Uh, so which is harder <laughs> doing the fries or doing the burgers? Because looking at a robot and, uh, you know, I've watched the video here. And for those of you who are watching on our YouTube channel, you can actually see, um, us, uh, playing a video of the, the robot. It would seem to me that fries were a little bit more of a constrained behavior and flipping burgers would be a little bit harder. Describe how difficult it is to actually do this. because you've been in, at work on this for four years or the company has at least. Yeah. Robots are hard. <laughs> There's a lot of technologies that are new and used to be brand new. And so these technologies are coming together and getting better and better all the time. Um, obviously machine learning and AI is a big part of the equation, but so is computer vision and having a computer get really good at understanding exactly where a burger is, is one thing. But the next thing and kind of continuing on that progression of technology is, our computers can, uh, our products can tell the difference between a chicken nugget and a tater tot with four nines of accuracy. Now that type of improvement, that's, we don't, that's not improving to MISO alone. The entire industry is benefiting from this kind of technology improvement. Um, that opens up all kinds of possibilities for what the products can do and how, how well they can actually solve problems for humans. Uh, and so what is the state of this? Let's just take the French fry one, which to me, 
making the french fries seems like pretty constrained you just scoop up the fries from the you know the uh hopper where they're stored you dump them in the oil and i guess you look at them and uh, shake them off right and i guess it's a certain amount of time is it making the decision to take the fries out based on time yep. or the view of them time now recipes if you think about french fries for example a lot of restaurant brands feel like it makes or breaks the brand. You will go back to a restaurant if the, if the fries are excellent. It's oftentimes the first thing you reach into the bag and put in your mouth. And yep. so having these fries excellent has a lot to do with how precisely they're cooked. They're generally about a minute and 40 or a minute and 50 seconds. And 10 seconds too early and it's limp and it's not good. No bueno. And if it's about 10 or 15 seconds too late, it's kind of brown, a little too crispy. And so hitting that nail on the head is is important. And human beings, for as hard as these people work, full respect, you've got a lot of stuff going on in the back of the house. They're generally not very good at following these recipes. Now, restaurants call them SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. And they're not just timing. It's literally something as, 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 as precise as at the 30-second mark, pick the basket up, agitate it to, uh, to unclump them, put it back down, and then agitate it three times once it's in the oil. This type of precision is what goes into making like the perfect French fry as one food type example. And humans do okay at it. Computers do it great. They hit the nail on the head every time. Yeah, I, this is the promise of it. I'm not sure if you've ever read Ray Kroc's uh, Grind It Out or seen the movie The Founder. Both. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and have you have you happened to have read the book? No, no, I have not. So get the audio book or read the book for Ray Kroc's uh, Grind It Out autobiography, of which the film The Founder with Michael Keaton is based on, which is based on the Mark Knopfler song Boom Like That just a bunch of trivia there mm -hmm. uh, uh but uh in it he was talking about the crazy arguments they would have the croc brothers uh i'm sorry yeah the croc brothers yeah. and um or, or the mcdonald's brothers would have over the coloring and then they had an even bigger problem because they used to shuck the potatoes locally and then the amount of air it turned out the the McDonald's brothers had learned in San Bernardino that the amount of air flowing through the storage room was perfect in terms of preparing them, but they had a problem in Chicago and Detroit because they couldn't replicate it. And then they went to, you know, uh, frozen French fries, and then they went back to, to fresh ones. Um, but let me ask a, a practical question here. Um, when that robot arm is swinging around the hot oil, etc. Great, it's not going to get burned. So you're reducing the number of people who you know would receive a burn in fast food as yep. an employee tragically that must happen yep. very often uh, mistakes get made with humans and uh, the robot by definition can't uh, burn itself but you do have a robot arm swinging around and we know these robot arms are very heavy and powerful mm -hmm. yep. how do you uh handle because when i went to different factories uh and saw robots they were typically in a cage and you couldn't get anywhere near them when I look at your robot, it seems to be flying around with people near it. So how does mm -hmm. that work? Yeah, we actually put it in a sort of a cage as well. Now, a lot of the oh, videos okay. we put at our site, it's kind of hard to see. We have this plexiglass screen that goes in front. And of course, humans. And if there's ever any human intervention, the robot just simply stops. Um, so we've got like the robot zone and the human zone and never shall the two <laughs> meet. And yeah, okay, so if a human happens to get into the box where the robot's working, it just turns off. It's yeah. got a fail safe. Exactly. Which I actually set off one of the two fail safes at a factory <laughs> making cars once because uh, I was doing a tour and they have a double line and it, okay. I put my foot on the line and it made like the gentle beeping, which is <laughs> the one before you actually turn the robot yeah. off. Yeah. Um, does that mean a restaurant has to be purpose built for these and it's hard to retrofit them? 
uh, no, or a little bit of both? No, it's so restaurants, if you look at a fry machine as an example, these fryers last about 13 years and they're built in. And we thought if we asked the restaurant to like throw those out and start over or put a whole new construction kind of, you know, piece of piece of effort behind it, it, it would just slow the adoption down. And, and, mm-hmm. and also as it applies to paying for this and affording this, we, we, we talked about RAS in the past as we're doing the same thing, but, but in terms of construction, we simply stand up, like we'll, we'll truck the thing in on Sunday night, right after they close, we'll stand it up over an existing fry station, but in the middle of the night, bolt it to the floor, bolt it to the wall, put it underneath the hood, no special electrical or plumbing's required. They open up Monday morning and they've got a robot cooking the fries over the existing fry station that already existed there. So super easy for the restaurant brands to adopt. What does it cost them uh, to install one of these? I know you have an interesting model of how you're charging for this. Yeah, it, we, we looked at it and thought, okay, what is the cost of, of an equivalent full-time human being to do one shift for one month? And plus or minus, depending on a lot of variables, it's about $3,000 a month. Okay, now that's for one shift for you know four weeks a month. So we priced it the same way. And we thought if we have to ask restaurants to pull out, even if they're writing a $25,000 check, a lot of them don't have it. Even if the ROI is there, they just simply don't have the funds. And so especially in a highly franchised industry like the restaurant industry. And so what we do is we say, look, we're going to ask the restaurant to pay for shipping and installation, which is a few thousand dollars. And then we stand the robot up. We train the robot to the type of food and the menu and everything. And then it starts cooking Monday morning and we charge about $3,000 a month. And so it's an equivalent cost for the restaurant. But Flippy works three shifts. Flippy doesn't call in sick or, you know, or, or have any kind of employee problem, <laughs> doesn't quit, um, yeah. and is super reliable. And by the way, cooks the food precisely every time. Before we get to the ad read, I want you to go to linkedin.com slash unicorn and post your first job for free at LinkedIn Jobs. That's right. A free job posting from LinkedIn Jobs. Your founders, you're running a company you need to get talent in there to help you out because your company is growing so fast and you're so busy time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening is wasted time you could be putting that into your customers your product your team and your vision that's why linkedin jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing in front of you and they do it so fast you can create a job post in minutes on linkedin and reach the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people focus on the candidates with the skills and the experience you need and use screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified people then use the simple tools that are built into linkedin jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you want to interview and hire we love linkedin jobs here at launch and this week in startups we hired a third producer we're going to hire a fourth we got a curriculum designer working on founder.university which is going to be a 12-week program every week 40 million job seekers visit linkedin you get your first job listing for free that's right free f-r-e-e linkedin.com slash unicorn linkedin.com slash unicorn to post that job for free terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you something for free just for turnover alone if you charged the $10 an hour minimum $11 an hour that people typically get paid in fast food, I think it's 11 is the average that this person would get paid, you're charging three. So you're charging probably 25 30% uh, per hour of what a human would cost, correct? Yeah, it, it works out depending on the number of shifts. It's less than what a human costs on a monthly basis by about like, you know, I would say 50% given the number of shifts. 
and then you fully load all that cost of hiring and training and workers, you know, comp insurance and all kind of stuff. It it pencils out really nicely. Like it's a, it's a no brainer. We have brands look at us, Jason. They're like, why would we not do this? Right. And <laughs> you know, for you, these equivalent arms, having been in this business myself, are now down to fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars, depending on which one you get. Correct. About you know, we supply the entire frame and the rail and the motor, and of course, the software is really the yeah, is the the, expense, yeah. that's the value of what we what we provide. Uh, the arms are interesting because they're this is you'll love this. I know you know a lot about this space, but if you look at the arms that we use currently, they're they're generally made for manufacturing. They're big and heavy. They don't move. They're generally not around humans. They're about seventy five pounds. They're rated to go ten years continuous use. Ten years, okay. And we look at those like, that's great, but it's a little overkill for what we need. And so when we say, look, we want to, you know, if, if you look at outfitting factory and there are a bunch of factories with robot arm, it's hundreds of arm. Okay. And that's, and you, so if you go into an arm manufacturer and you say, I would like to a, a bid and talk about volume and pricing, whatever, they literally don't work outside of the hundreds. It's just their, their, their field of, of play is just <laughs> limited to manufacturing and things like that. When we go to a chain, let's just take any big, you know, normal chain, not the Uber big ones, but just the normal chains in America, they're average about 1800 units or 3000 units. When you ask these manufacturers to work with you on that kind of volume, they simply, it's just outside of their realm. <laughs> their head kind of explodes a little bit. They don't really have the manufacturing yeah. capacity. And they've just never done it. So we're taking the arm industry in a whole new place just by bringing this gargantuan restaurant industry into the automation space. And it, it's really correct because I remember investing in Cafe X years ago. They, we're using the same like you are the same ones that are used in factories, they're rated to pick up hundreds of pounds. And you've got them picking up, you know, one pound of french fries, including the basket right, or whatever right, it is. Exactly. Yeah. These, these arms will do 100 years probably yeah. in these positions. I mean, you can't guarantee anything, but they're they're basically overkill have there been and and the prices have been going down, I think. Yep maybe 50% every year or two. Is that right? Or two? Yeah, years? it's crazy. A little, little ones we're working with a little less than that, but still like they're plummeting because volume's getting up there and everybody's getting better at electronics. Are there any vendors now of, you know, robotic arms that are more suited for non-factory and just a, a more lightweight commodity arm? I know there, there was somebody working on one here in America. I forgot the name of it, but there, there was there, a startup. Yeah. No, please. Yeah, no, I just can't remember the name of the startup. Maybe you know it. But there was a startup working on robotic arms to kind of make them $5,000. Like, has the $5,000 arm showed up yet? No, uh, getting close. There's a number of companies just getting their footing, solving the same exact problem. And if you look at it, it it's a lot of the same componentry. It's the same servo motors. And a lot of times the robot arms that you're talking about, they, they're just a good plastic sleeve. that's super durable, but super replaceable. They don't need to pick up, you know, the door of a, of a Tesla. <laughs> they need to pick exactly. up a latte. And so... There's a lot of new company companies solving the same problem in this space because it hasn't had really had demand until now. Uh, tell me about flipping burgers. Flipping meat seems like uh, a harder task, is it, than French fries? It is, but you might find this interesting. We approach it kind of a, in a different way, Jason, and that is with full respect. A lot of a lot of robot companies um, they become enamored by the technology and can a robot do this? Yeah, sure, it can do anything. But can it do it cost effectively? Can it do it economically wow. in a way that really yeah. makes sense for the customer? And so when we look at back of house or restaurants, it is a green field opportunity for automation, man. There's so many places you could go to solve problems. So we looked at it so through the lens of really uh, of, of a business person. Say, okay, what is the biggest problem that's, that's easiest to solve that has the most impact for our restaurant customers? 
and it was French fries. And it was French fries because it's so heavily manned. It's so, um, it's so, it's so intensive. And also because it is, it is a really big labor offset. Now, when you, what I mean by that is during peak periods, there's one or two and sometimes more people working the fry stations at all times. But there's rarely more than one person standing in front of a grill flipping burgers. So when we look at it and say, okay, what's the labor offset and what's a really, you know, low hanging fruit for making an impact for restaurants? Fries stood way out, not because it was significantly easier, but because of the impact. Okay. Now mm. it is a little easier in some ways than burgers because burgers, you've got to be really precise about, you know, kind of how you get there. But burgers, we just simply haven't yet figured out a way to dispense a bunch of patties onto a grill in a way that's super fast and efficient and economical. Can we do it? Yeah. But restaurants really hate the price. So, Right now, our burger solution, it just simply flips burgers that humans place on the grill. Make sense? Makes total sense. Um, so it flips burgers after humans put them on the grill. Right. Which is of like half value. It's not, exactly. of, it's not soup to nuts. So you might as well just finish French fries, get to scale on that, really make the impact. And then when the technology gets there, boom. Precisely. Um, and so... How many restaurants do you have it in now? I know you were hired and brought on to be the CEO of this company, as opposed to the founder, uh, which I think was Buck Jordan. Yep. So when you come into a company like this, you've got to get it to profitability. <laughs> you've got to get it. Uh, you know, that's typically why they bring in the hired gun CEO is to get the company like operationally, you know, excellent and, and crank the revenue. Yep. How is the revenue doing? How are you? Uh, how many restaurants are you in? And what's it been like? You're getting us right at the turning point. So it's a really good uh, point for me. So and a good time for your question. So when I came on board, we had, uh, which was about a year ago, we had one uh, robot in one restaurant in White Castle. We have some, some other robots in, um, in, in baseball stadiums, like the Dodger Stadium and Chase Field and Phoenix, et cetera. But we put a, a unit in White Castle in Indiana. And like all technology, immediately spotted a number of opportunities to iterate the next version. And these were kind of like, big learnings right off the bat with that boy the next one we can make significantly better and so uh the new one is called flippy 2 flippy 2 is shipping this month meaning august meaning a couple in th this week and, and more next week and and we're shipping about a dozen pilots and the way it works jason is a lot of big brands say this is great we've come and seen it it works awesome we, we we've seen the numbers we need to see it our own environment which makes perfect sense so what we typically do is we'll put a pilot for a 60 or 90 day period into a live production environment. So not just a test kitchen, but actual restaurant. And we'll run that for a, a given restaurant brand. And then from there, work on a rollout strategy for them. So we have so much demand for Flippy 2 that our, our next year, the theme of next year is going to be about supply chain and maximizing scale. Uh, because when we drop this into a restaurant and, and, and let it perform, um, it, it, it really changes the game for them. And you, uh, do you send a team to monitor it and be there with the robot during these 60, 90 day trials? Or are you at the point where they can just operate on their own and, and the, the customer can manage it? For the first week or so, we, we, we have kind of uh, boots on the ground, just making sure, just kind of watching stuff. After that, we keep an eye on it with, well, it's not going to surprise you with AI <laughs> yeah. and with and computer vision. We, because because the, the robot station has eyes all the time on the arm and the food or whatever. We can then keep eyes either with live human beings observing cooking or with AI that basically notices and tells us right away if there's a problem. For example, if, if a basket gets caught on something or, you know, any, any other problem like that, we're able to diagnose it real time from our, uh, from our not from our network operating center. So we're using, 
you know, we, we, we use the same technology we sell. So eventually, some huge brand like McDonald's or Burger King could be have a command center watching 5000 fry machines in real time, see so the computer vision could see something like a basket that's bent and not working properly. And you would know about it in the command center uh, before the people in the store would know about it, and then send them an intervention, hey, we need to turn the robot off and or you know, fryer one of four is out. So you're going to be on three fryers tonight, we need to replace the basket in fryer one. Yeah, so it creates like a massive amount of centralized consistency, which is what Ray Kroc was always going for on the, and the was at the core of the McDonald's franchise was consistency. Exactly, exactly. And adhere to everything cooking procedures, cooking times, how long has it been since it was been changed? Like what you're describing is alive and well, we're doing it now and granted on a really teeny scale. I mean, we're just getting out of the gates, yeah. but we're, we, we built essentially what, what you described, Jason. And when do you, what is it going to take for somebody to deploy, you know, not just 12 pilots across 12 customers, but somebody to deploy, you know, 120 of these, when do you think that will happen? I think it'll happen next year. I think it'll happen wow. in the first quarter of next year. Um, so the robot is testing really well in our labs. We're just shipping it now to pilots. Um, and so what the industry's never really done is said, boy, how do we roll out, you know, re robots chain wide? <laughs> They've done things like dishwashers and fry machines and grills. And so it's not completely new, but this kind of takes over some tasks. And so it requires, you know, a change in operations and training and that kind of thing. It's really fun problem to solve, but it's not easy. Like these are, these are heavy lift items. I mean, we're talking to chains that have 3000 locations that are you know, they're raring to go and we, we don't have, none of this have, have we built yet. It, again, it's, I'm, I'm not complaining. It's really fun problems to have, but it's stuff we're here to solve. If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being an entrepreneur. Startups should look no further than Embroker. Embroker's technology saves you time and money. Their prices are up to 20% lower with better coverage than the incumbents. And you can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. So when you work with Embroker, instead of business insurance incumbents, you're not dealing with large, low corporations. And the sign up takes days, not weeks. The process is transparent with no opaque pricing. So let's talk about two very crucial types of startup insurance. You'll know that these are very much in the news, especially the first one, cyber insurance. You have to have cyber insurance, which covers acts. And they happen more than you think. A lot of them you don't hear about publicly right because people are uh, ashamed to have them happen and they should have done a better job but mistakes happen and sometimes software is imperfect right or a human is imperfect and they make a mistake they use a weak password they forget to put two-factor on well you want to have cyber insurance just in case that happens plus dno insurance this helps if your directors and officers do something dumb and you get sued very simple very important to have cyber and dno so to instantly buy custom built insurance for startups go to imbroker.com slash twist e-m-b-r-o-k-e-r.com slash twist while you're there you're going to get an extra 10 percent off by using the offer code twist p-w-i-s-t okay let's get back to this amazing episode i guess the inevitable question you face in every interview is uh well what about the job destruction nature of doing these what is your answer to that question since you get it and and how do you personally think about it? It was a lot harder a year ago because this question came up a lot. But now there's so much data and so much press and exposure about this labor gap. We talk to the heads of all major chains all the time, and they call it labor crisis. It's the number one problem on their list. It is the number one 
you know, item for them to solve strategically as well as just making their number. Can't fill, you know, find human beings that want to do these positions. You look at this and it's like, there's no other way to solve this on automation. We're not going to suddenly, you know, spawn in a couple, you know, 1.3 million people that just suddenly want to start frying, you know, French fries tomorrow. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a deeper societal problem that I think is, is not going to go away. We're, you know, so we're really in, in, in pole position here to, 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 to solve this for the industry. And we take it really seriously in terms of, it's a little bit of a calling. I know it sounds kind of corny, but it's like we, you know, it's, it's really not about scaling MISO and, you know, you know, revenue or IPO. It's like, this is our industry. We got to fix this, you know? And yeah. so, um, it's really important for us and we're, we understand how important it is for the industry. And we rarely, because you can open up any newspaper, any kind of website or whatever and kind of hear about the labor gap, people understand more and more that it's not stealing jobs. It's solving a problem that risks jobs. If we don't solve this, jobs go away. Restaurants close. Yeah. I mean, we got a serious problem in the economy. If there's 10 million jobs open, we're not in, we're not letting people immigrate into the country to match that number. Mm -hmm. And so somebody's got to take somebody's order and somebody's got to make somebody's French fries. And right now it's turning out that a kiosk is going to take your order and it's faster and it doesn't make mistakes and your French fries are going to be perfect. So you also have to balance what is the better consumer experience? I, at this point, I never thought I would say this as somebody who loves going to restaurants. I, even in a Michelin star restaurant, would rather order from my phone myself. <laughs> I would rather pull up the menu and order myself. The second I start talking to somebody who's a waiter uh, or a server, I just think, what's going to be wrong in my order? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. there's going to be something lost in translation. And when you order from a kiosk, it's going to be right. You, it, you're not going to mishear something and it's going to be faster, you know, like yeah. flagging down a waiter to put in an extra order of Brussels sprouts because your kids just plowed through the first order. Uh -huh. I could take 15 minutes and you're out of the restaurant by yeah. then. Yeah, you know, and hundred percent. And think about it: if you wanted carry out, you could still telephone the restaurant and read the order in. But you know, no one does that. You have the an app; you just basically open it up and in order yeah. and get it right yourself. All right. So your company has been using the equity crowdfunding to, I think, I don't know if it's a record or not, but I think you're amongst the top companies. What is the strategy there? Is it because venture capitalists hate hardware? And the public is enamored and willing to take these kind of bets. And it's something that is easily accessible to consumers to understand as opposed to like SaaS software. Tell me about the strategy there. Yeah, yeah. Con kind of the all of the above, except for the fact, except that, you know, I, I, in my career, I've spent, I, I've done so, I've done a bunch of fundraising, private equity, venture capital, debt, everything. And we have that available to us at MISO. So a lot of people think you went crowdfunding because you kind of struck out with venture guys. Not true. Not true whatsoever. We have a ton of interest from institutional investors, as you can imagine. We uh, chose crowdfunding, frankly, because we could. <laughs> it is an incredibly uh, efficient means of funding a company. It's very friendly capital, meaning it just, it just as we, you and I are sitting here talking, there's money flowing into MISO. People are making the average investment is around $3,000. We have almost 13,000 shareholders. And it just continues to flow because people look at it and think, I don't need a broker and I don't need, I can identify a trend in a company I believe in myself. And all of a sudden companies like Miso are not the sole purview of venture capitalists. We can, you know, the, the average, you know, retail investor cannot put money in a company they believe in. So it's really good. I think for the economy, it's good for the, or the, you know, the, the, the investment economy. It's absolutely good for Miso. So yeah. it's a win, it's a win across the board. So you, I can see uh, if people go to invest.misorobotics.com, there's kind of a landing page to do this. 
are you doing this all on your own? It's white labeled. You're not using Republic or Seed Invest or one of those platforms. Yeah, we built it ourselves. Um, wow. And yeah, I know it's it's what happens. You get a team of engineers. People look at it and say, I, "We can do that." And so we built ourselves, and it ended up being a really good decision. It's working really well. We built a lot of features, particularly around marketing and, and, and marketing. You know, people that show interest um, that allows it to just it's serving our needs big time. Um, we've raised, uh, close to $25 million so far this way, and there's no sign of slowing down. And we've got, frankly, some big announcements coming up. They're going to goose that number, you know, even at a faster clip. So yeah, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. It's not just the platform, Jason. It's, it's also, we've got some really good people that know how to market and position this thing and actually, you know, kind of, kind of. Um, handle investor communications. We're really good at talking to our investors as well as our perspective. Do you have to be accredited investors. or can you be non-accredited? You do not need to be accredited. You wow. have to, yeah. you have to, dis- you have to disclose some stuff and acknowledge the risk and everything else. Like I've read this, I acknowledge, you know, I could lose this money or whatever. Uh, but you do not need to be accredited investors. So, you know, a lot of times people put in, uh, the minimum is 950 bucks. And some people just say, look, that's, it's money I can afford to lose, but I believe in this technology. I believe in this company. Let's, let's go. Let's take a flyer. And it's $56 a share. What is the implied valuation for the company now? Three, $350 million. Wow. So you're able to raise money directly at a $350 million valuation. And you had some venture capitalists in this latest round. Is that right? In, no, in the earlier rounds. This, we're oh, we're on a series rounds. D. Um, the A and B rounds were venture capital. And those guys are still on a cap table. They're delighted. We've grown the company really nicely. Um, and, and, and Jason, we may in a future round turn to, there, there's, there's a very good possibility in the future. We bring in a significant round, um, from an institutional investor. So the strategies aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but right now we're funding the company very adequately. Um, there'll be a point when maybe we'll need to go either a formal IPO or uh, bring in a big institutional round or, or maybe both. But right yeah. now it's, it's working really, really well for us. And you can do up to this is, I guess, under regulation A, where you can raise up to $50 million. I believe it's, I, I thought it was 75, but I could be wrong. But in, in any kind of rolling 12 month, I think it's 75 uh, million you can bring in wow. in a rolling. And so, you know, and, and so that gives us a lot of, <laughs> a lot of runway. It, it is the future, I think, of, uh, you know, startup investing. And, you know, I think you made an interesting point. It wasn't because you couldn't get venture capital, you chose to do this so you could build an army of people who are fans of the product and who are cheering you on. And it's a never ending, uh, as you're saying, with this rolling rule, it's a never ending funding process, you can leave this open for a year, and just perpetually be raising money, correct? Yep, exactly, exactly. And then people just need to know you're investing like a venture capitalist or seed investor, which means the majority of companies fail, it's high risk, and uh, ostensibly high reward if it does happen to work out. And you do have now this phenomenon of SPACs. So equity crowdfunding combined with SPACs, it's almost two themes on the, it's, it's almost, you know, two themes on the same story here, which is individuals can participate earlier in companies and take yeah. more risk yeah, uh, and theoretically get more uh, reward. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes us really kind of, a, it opens up a lot of options for us. It makes us attractive because we have an active investor base already. A lot of companies that go public, they're getting retail investor number one, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, you know, we're, we're at 13,000 and you know, cranking away. So it opens up a lot of possibilities for us in the future. And I see you advertise investing in the company. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, 
we have a number of things going for us. One is, you know, uh, robotics just tells its own story. You see a picture of it, and you're like, I get it. I know exactly what it does, and this is the future. So it lends itself well to kind of the narrative of why would I invest in this company? Um, but 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 also, there's a lot of people come in, they'll click on invest at MISO, and they'll be like, mm, put in my information, but they just want to keep an eye on it. And so we realize we've got to continue to get exposure to, you know, uh, to, to, uh, to these people. And so a big part of what we do is digital marketing. We'll continue to push new messages and new news. And we rely heavily on PR. We've got a really effective public relations strategy because we're actually making news. Like the announcements we're putting out, especially the ones, you know, coming up in the, in the months ahead, it's kind of a big deal. And so using that, uh, when we kind of get a headlines, we just announced a new product, for example, a couple of weeks ago. It brings a big oh, surge. What was the new of product? The new product was an automated beverage robot. Okay, so when oh. you when you go through, just say it's lunch and you're driving around, you need to find a place to, to you know to get some drive through. If you see three or four cars in a drive through lane, you usually keep driving. Oftentimes, and if those cars are in the drive through lane, it's often because they're waiting on drinks, drinks or fries. And so what we know from the is- restaurant industry is if you can speed up the drive through lane, you boost revenue for that location, you know, significantly. And so. What we're releasing is a, uh, a a robot powered drink dispenser that takes orders from the point of sale. So ah, just say you go to your, yeah, you go to your kiosk or you go through the drive-through and you say uh, Dr Pepper, large Coke, whatever else. Um, it dispenses it, marks the lid, puts the lid on, and marks the lid and shoves it to the human. So the human puts it out the window. It's really a it's a really cool product. It's a, basically a conveyor belt going around a drink dispenser. Is that the drink dispenser they already have, or is this a completely vertically new integrated one. new product? It's a new one. Yeah, it's a new ah, one. Wow. Yeah. Did you make that or buy that, or we, did you acquire so, a company? No, we are uh, designing uh, an integration into an existing drink dispenser that's made by a company called Lancer. They're the largest manufacturer of drink dispensers on, on, on planet Earth, and they're working with us exclusively to kind of have this integrated unit that does, because we don't want to be in the business of you know, creating tubes and hoses and, you know, d- dispensers of ice that, 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 that exists. Our technology and our asset is the, the IP that tells the machine what to do and then just kind of spits it out. Similar to Cafe X in that they don't make the actual espresso machine. There's a zillion commodity espresso machines. The software that takes the order and, you know, fills the cup and gives it to the right person is, you know, the, is enough of <laughs> enough work to do than tamping down the espresso. Uh, grinds precisely precisely yeah Yeah. when does this one launch this launches in q1 of next year wow great this one seems like it's even easier than the fry station to put in so i guess you're you're looking at each function figuring out which one will provide the most value but also which one is the easiest to implement right like kind of yeah it's kind of a combination of of what's the intersection of those two things what's what's pretty straightforward and easy to do reliably and what's going to make the biggest impact and this one doesn't have a robotic arm it's just a conveyor belt so you could probably have humans interacting with it a bit more yeah Time, yeah. there's no danger of a human getting caught by an arm correct not over by an arm here and it, it, what you might find interesting is that that machine and, and all the products we put out they all connect to essentially like a, a, a restaurant ecosystem like an operating system that 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 receives the order from the point of sale system and tells machines what to do about it so every new miso machine that gets plugged into a restaurant is already plugged into that intelligence and into that automation and so, and, and by the way, it collects a ton of really rich, useful analytical data that we can provide to the restaurants about, you know, what's being ordered with what, by what frequency, that kind of thing. It's amazing. Uh, and so you're hiring and you have job openings now for people in robotics and technology. Uh, maybe uh, we can give you a little plug there to yeah, uh, yeah, fill you, some positions. 
Oh my gosh. We, yeah, we, we, we are hiring like crazy. We're building, it's an engineering culture. So it's a really, um, I don't want to say it's an easy platform to attract from because the engineers are really, you know, always going to do your best to, 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 to attract engineering talent. Uh, but we're growing a ton. We're adding, um, you know, a, a dozen or more engineers every month or so. Um, we have, you know, uh, more, more Are open you positions. In Pasadena? We yeah, in- we're in Pasadena. We hire people all throughout the country. Um, our headquarters in Pasadena, you know, we're born through out of Caltech. And so it's, it's, that's kind mm-hmm. of our, our, our heritage. And so we're going to keep the company in Pasadena, but we have people working all around the nation as most people, most companies do. All right. Well, look, continued success. Everybody go to misorobotics.com if you want to invest and or if you're interested in working there, uh, continued success. And we'll look forward to having some perfect French fries soon is it is there a location people can actually go see it now well <laughs> somewhere the, in the country? W- w- watch the new watch our website because as okay. we roll out to several brands we'll make public of that we'll All make right. that public well, yeah. continued success and thanks for coming on the program thank you jason appreciate you having me how much time and money do you spend integrating a bunch of different software products together at your company let me guess way too much time well odoo is here to help odoo is a suite of business apps that runs your entire company on one platform. They'll streamline your workflow by bringing all of that information together. Plus, Odoo's integrations eliminate repetitive tasks and data entry. If you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you pay for. Odoo won't stick you with the bill for apps you don't use. Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and over 16,000 apps from their active open source community. You can keep your books tight with their financial software and their sales and CRM apps will help provide a clear and organized view of your business. So here is your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's not a joke. That's $1,000. Just go to odoo.com slash twist to check it out. That's odoo.com slash T-W-I-S-T. All right, everybody, some fun new content we're going to be producing here at This Week in Startups. We hired a third producer. Can you believe it? We have three full-time producers on this podcast, This Week in Startups now, because we've gone four or five days a week, and the audience is loving the show. And so our third producer is Rachel Braun. She's with me today here on uh, this first segment where Rachel is going to be a twist correspondent. Yes, we're going to have our first This Week in Startups correspondent. And we have charged Rachel with uh, educating us on topics around Gen Z uh, and what founders in that uh, generation are building and maybe some of the new uh, products and services and marketing techniques they're using. So welcome to the show correspondent, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Jason. This is definitely really cool. And you, of course, when we hired you, we're doing your own podcast about venture capital. So you were out there doing uh, some work in the space, correct? Yes, I had my own podcast. I had a bunch of cool people on some of which which were in venture capital. Very cool. So uh, for your first uh, segment here, I know you got to talk to Dan Toomey, who is Morning Brews TikTok guy. Tell me a little bit about what we're going to learn in this segment. Yeah, so Dan kind of goes over not only how to just make TikToks, how to really grow an audience from scratch. So before Dan came on, Morning Brew did not actually have a TikTok account. And he applied in a very unique way. And I will save that for the show. Uh, And Dan was just a really great person to have and was an awesome first guest for me to speak to. 
And how important do you think TikTok is in terms of building brands today? How prevalent is it with millennials, Gen Z, or is it favor one of those two groups? And I see a lot of oldsters now on TikTok. I finally gave in and I have a TikTok account. I haven't produced a video for it yet, but I, I am now following some people and getting into it a bit and, and trying to understand it, which is it's very weird and different, isn't it? It definitely is. And I think something that is really important to note when you think about TikTok is you're not just scrolling through people you already follow. They have something called the For You page. So people are basically in discovery mode all the time. So if you're really trying to build a platform from scratch, I think TikTok is a great place to start. Whereas with Instagram, I feel like speaking as a Gen Z, I'm more likely to go look at people's information that I already know, um, if that makes sense. I think it does. If we were thinking of an analogy here, imagine if instead of when you open your Instagram, you seeing your friends and then convincing your friends to follow you, yada, yada, and hoping for reciprocation when you follow somebody, if they just dumped you on the explore tab, and not just the explore tab, which is custom to you, just whatever was initially trending. And what that does in reverse, if everybody starts with people they don't follow, then it gives people who are nobodies who have no following the chance to get in front of everybody and you have these overnight successes. That is the big innovation, isn't it? A hundred percent. And it's really cool to see people that don't have a platform anywhere. Um, I mean, you just think about the crazy big TikTokers that we know now. The first one that pops off to my head is Victoria Paris. I think she's really interesting and she didn't have a huge platform on any social media before she was a content creator. And TikTok is really where she blew up. So I'm really excited. I hope I see more brands come to the space because right now I find that mostly it's individuals and I'm kind of surprised that the startup community hasn't really dove into it more. I think that when you're over the age of 30, going on TikTok and doing a dance is so <laughs> crazy that like, can you imagine me going on there and doing a dance or a meme? I feel ridiculous as a 50 year old going and doing that, you know, like, yeah. but I guess at some point I'm going to be doing that, aren't I? Feels like it's inevitable. I think so. <laughs> the team wants you to, that's for sure. And I think it's really smart that the Morning Brew team hired Dan. So, you know, Alex doesn't have to be one of those people out dancing on there now. They have Dan yes. doing that. And you've been experimenting with a TikTok account for this week in startups. If people want to go search for that, they can. It's TWI Startup. So you've been talking about the show and doing memes on my behalf. All right, let's throw to <laughs> your, uh, let's throw your segment here. And we'd love your feedback on this. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming onto the show today. Of course, I'm excited to be here. For everyone that's listening, you might remember The Morning Brew from episode 1242 when Jason had an awesome discussion with the co-founder, Alex Lieberman. So Dan, I have to be honest before we get into everything. I actually applied to a job at The Morning Brew right after graduation and I've never heard back. I'm a huge Morning <laughs> Brew fan um, so much that I've definitely like bugged people um, on Twitter. I've slid into their DMs and everything. So this is really exciting for me. And for everybody listening and who, for some reason, hasn't heard of Morning Brew, can you break it down for us? Yeah. Also, I was not a, a part of that decision process, Rachel, by the way. I was not I was not <laughs> hired. I was hired by Morning Brew in February. So I didn't I didn't touch any of that for what it's worth. Um, yeah. I mean, Morning Brew is we started as a business newsletter um, kind of designed to make business news interesting for people to read. Um, mostly geared towards college students. But once we really started to get more subscribers over the past year, we're now pivoting in the process of, of becoming a full-on media company. So that includes an audio division, video division, and actual articles um, like on the grounds reporting that's done by us because 
newsletters are usually just aggregate journalism, but now we're moving away from that as we kind of beef up our staff. So we describe ourselves as a as a company for the modern business leader, but now we're expanding far beyond that to really anybody that could be interested in what's happening in and around the business world. So I'd love to know more about the actual creation of those TikToks. And I actually saw those TikToks that you make on Twitter, not on the app. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because on TikTok, honestly, I almost never see your guys' content. Mm. And I've noticed that Morning Brew and Planet Money, which are two accounts that I really, really like, I actually see most of their short form media content that obviously has been made in TikTok over on Twitter. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. So can you kind of explain to listeners your TikTok style? Yeah, hey, I'd love to know the reason for that too. If there's any way, <laughs> if there's any way that we can show up on more people's uh, TikTok feeds, I would love to, I don't know if anybody from TikTok is listening to this, but I would love to know <laughs> uh, the hack that we can do to get that. Uh, yeah, the, um, so I guess I can answer this in two parts. Uh, first being the creation process behind it. So I have an editor that I work with, uh, Laura, her, and her job is just to manage social media in general, but she's amazing and she does work on our TikTok account as well. But my day basically looks like I get up and I start reading the news at around 7.30 in the morning. And that's when the first messages are really being sent in our Slack channel. We start talking about what stories might, might do well, what people are talking about. And at around 8.30, 9 o'clock, I usually have a list of pitches that I think would be great for a video. And those pitches look like I have a summary of the news story. And then I have a premise that I think we can work off of there. So like something funny that I think we could do or a creative way to explain what's happening in the news. And then my editor basically says like, this isn't funny. This is bad. This will never work. And maybe like maybe this last one could work. And we go with that one, have a few morning meetings. And then I try to write a script. I hand the script to her. She looks it over. And after like uh, going back and forth for a little bit, we have a full script and I film and that filming usually takes me probably like 30 minutes, depending on how complicated the, the video is. Sometimes they can get really out there and then it will take longer. <laughs> um, but then after that, I'll edit the video down and again, go through edits, uh, you know, bring it back and forth with my editor until we get a video out. Usually at around like the goal is, is, is 2 p.m. But if you have like meetings and stuff throughout the day, because we're always trying to do more. Sometimes we get it out at around like 3 p.m. And then like worst case scenario is like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. And that's that's happened a few times more recently. So that's what my day looks like. And we used to do that every day. Now we're starting to do that three days a week and mixing up our, our, our release schedule a bit. And then in terms of like how we upload them, we if, if some usually we try to upload all of our videos if because we hope that they're all like good quality. Usually we try to upload all of our videos to TikTok, Twitter and Instagram as reels, right? Sometimes a video is more just just TikTok centric and it doesn't really belong on Twitter. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I have had at least what we've realized is that not everybody TikTok is kind of a polarizing platform for people. And a lot of the people who subscribe to Morning Brew are not on TikTok. And we kind of wanted to find a way to say like, hey, people can still enjoy these videos. How can we bring it to them? And so usually out of Instagram, Twitter or TikTok, somebody has like one of those. And so we upload them, at least the best of our videos, we upload to all three platforms and try to get people to see them. So uh, I've, I've had a lot of people actually say that they're like, I've only seen you on Instagram or some people have said, like, I only see your stuff on LinkedIn. We try to publish them across like multiple platforms just so like everybody can be in the party and it's not just people on TikTok. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So is that the same video or do you make any edits to that video? And let me clarify that. So you guys only put out like 
three of those a week. It's been three a week recently because we're also working on our YouTube channel right now, which is taking gotcha. time away from like the whole video team. It was at, at one point like one uh, a day and we could go back to that probably once we figure out what we're doing on YouTube. But right now we're dedicating some more time to planning around uh, our video like future, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, we the edits that we do, we actually do less now because every social media platform is essentially becoming like the same the same platform. I don't know if you've noticed this recently, but it's like every single platform is literally just becoming a singular thing like Instagram uh, has stories. Twitter had stories at one point. Now TikTok might be having stories. And so we used to do a lot more edits for videos where a TikTok would have to be cut down into 30 seconds so it could be a reel. But now reels are a minute. And now TikToks can be like, like, like 60 minutes or something like that. So, so we did have to make edits, but not as much anymore. They can really just be uploaded to every platform. I actually did see that. So we're starting to make a TikTok account for this week in startups. And I've noticed nice. there's been a three minute limit on TikToks. And I'm like, that's kind of a lot trying to create that much content. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, our our shows tend to be fairly long, but trying to create super engaging content for three minutes sounds pretty difficult, especially because the app, I feel like, is really geared toward short attention spans. Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks on making really engaging content in such a short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think we do it all the time, honestly. I, I mean, we always try to get better with every video that we put out. Usually... I mean, none of our videos have gone over, maybe one or two have gone over a minute. Everything we try to keep under 60 seconds. And some people have said, oh, you know, if it's shorter, then that will do better with the algorithm. But I'm kind of, be of a believer in if you just write a, a good video or if you write a good script, people will stick with it for at least a minute. Like I have faith. <laughs> I have some <laughs> faith in our attention spans as like humans. Like I, I have a little bit that I'm holding on to. So for writing, I mean, you have to get to the premise immediately. You have to get to what you're talking about immediately. And this is just notes for like for writing in general. I mean, whether it's journalism or comedy, like you people want to understand what the situation is like within the first one or two lines. And I've made that mistake a lot before with videos where I'll like maybe throw in a joke or throw in an extra note in the beginning. But then people get bored. And most people, if you look at the stats, they watch videos for half the time. Like the majority of people watch for half the time or less. And so. People are like, oh my gosh, you can only watch a video that's a minute long. It's like, no, people only watch 30 seconds of that one minute video. People look at like the timeline at the bottom and see how long it will take to scroll across. And they're like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. And then they scroll <laughs> the next thing. So tips for writing engaging content. Yeah, get to the premise immediately. I mean, I personally think humor helps create engaging content. Even, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like a capital J joke. It can be like a funny aside or just not taking yourself too seriously. Um, and then- Using effects uh, or like visual effects always makes it compelling. But I've, I've also seen videos that don't do any of that, but they're talking about something that's interesting. They're, t they're educating people on something or they're just generally entertaining with a special skill that they might have. Those are really like if you get down to like the core of it, I think the three things that that really uh, create engaging content. It's really interesting hearing you talk about how quality kind of trumps everything when creating these because I was just listening to this podcast with another TikToker named Victoria Paris mm -hmm. on the Colin and Samir show and her thing was more about mm. if you create content consistently so she actually said she made like 30 videos a day or something incredible like that that the algorithm um, really just loves you and that really does facilitate growth and so hearing you kind of talk about the opposite and say as long as you're creating quality and engaging content that will facilitate growth is really interesting to me. 
So what is more important, I guess, for TikTok, especially when considering a brand, the fact that it is like authentic or the fact that it is interesting? Yeah, I think if you're if you're a brand, it's going to be a bit of a different game because I have seen like, for example, I've seen uh, comic writers and I have seen people who are like more so performers go weeks without releasing something. But every time they release, it will be a hit because it's 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 a great video and anybody will want to watch it and share. If you're a brand, though, you want to be front of mind for people. So posting consistently should be more of a priority, I would think, um, rather than saying like, oh, we can drop one every month and it will be great because then you won't immediately like be thought of by people who are scrolling through TikTok normally. I mean, there are so many brands I see on TikTok, like Gymshark is all <laughs> over TikTok. They're so good at TikTok. Like they are amazing at it. And it's because they just crank out videos. And part of that is because they they use affiliate marketing. They find other fitness influencers. I mean, to like, I, I think something probably like 40% of TikTok is just like fitness influencers who are making a killing off of it. And that's awesome for them. And Gymshark basically just uh, found a way to capitalize off of that. So if you're a brand, yeah, I would say that the the priority should be consistency, which goes into things like following trends and making sure that you're collaborating with people because I mean, yeah, look, any I'm sure that's great that she's making 30 videos a day and I applaud her for that. But for anybody's uh, sanity or mental health, I would encourage you to collaborate as soon as possible with other people, because not only does that make you more creative as a person learning how other people think and and, and make their own work, but also that takes some of the weight off of your shoulders because, you know, you have another person lifting the load for you. So creating consistently is definitely a priority for a brand. When I think of Morning Brew, I really do think of you because of, I guess you're the person that I see most on the internet affiliated mm. with the brand, not even Alex, not Toby, not the other co-founder either. Um, so that's got to oh, be yeah. very, very interesting. And <laughs> I guess like what I'm trying to get at is how did you create this video platform from scratch while maintaining that company voice? Okay, so the reason why I applied to Morning Brew was because they already had a voice that I resonated with and their voice is so strong on the newsletter. I mean, it's I think that's its biggest value add as a company is that people like to read Morning Brew because it's an enjoyable experience. And um, all credits to Neil Fryman, by the way. He is the managing editor of Morning Brew and that guy is incredible at what he does. And he really has a, a great sense of what our voice is. and. When I applied to Morning Brew, I, I literally said, you guys write like how I write and I would love to come work for you or something like that. And uh, I basically said, like, I feel like this is how I naturally would, would go about writing a script for a news story. What if I just tried to essentially take that voice and put it on to video? So I really felt like it was much more so of like we had the same voice and they had already had like a whole company based off of it. And I just had me. <laughs> and I was like, how can I put this into video? Yeah, that's so interesting because when Jason talks to me and the other producers, he talks about whenever we write something that he ends up reading, he's like, just write it how I would say it, write it in plain mm -hmm. English. And I found myself in the beginning, that was really difficult to me. So how important do you think voice consistency actually is? Oh my God, for, for a brand, it's everything. Are you kidding? Like, I mean, especially right now and at a time where it's like, if you don't seem like a human on social media, even as a brand, people will be like a little sketched out by you, you know, like people love the fast food companies on it on Twitter because they just tweet like how people tweet and <laughs> a really a really great thing. This is a shout out to Toby, but an excellent thing that Toby once told me when I first joined Morning Brew is that he said, we have to use social media like how people use social media. 
we have to use Twitter like how people use Twitter. We have to use TikTok like how people use TikTok. And that like that was like incredible to me. That was like so prophetic because I was like, yeah, that's that's the social media was created for for people. It wasn't created for brands. And so that's why brands try to seem like people on it. And at the end of the day, we would just make the content that, that we enjoy making that we think is cool. So yeah, I forget what your original question was, but that's kind of like how we've transferred the voice uh, across like different platforms. Oh, it was about the importance of voice. I wouldn't think people would feel comfortable with Morning Brew if it didn't seem like the same voice that was in the newsletter was the same one talking to you across platforms. And I think we do a really good job of that. And so, yeah, I think it's really important for 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 any media company or brand to keep track of. Yeah, you definitely do an absolutely amazing job at that. Was it difficult, though, to take those really complex topics that occur often in the newsletter and kind of break them down into really digestible TikToks? Yeah, it still is. I mean, I, it's it's a challenge. Like, the thing is, it, it happens. The news that surprises you will happen every single day. And you're like, oh, I guess I got to learn about this today that I didn't know about before. It, it's definitely a challenge. We don't always do the stories that are in the newsletter because we often do the we often do the news that's the day of. So if something breaks, we will have to make a video about that in a few hours, whereas it won't show up in a newsletter the next day. So that the story that we do may or may not end up in the newsletter. Oftentimes it will because it's usually an important story. But yeah, it's a challenge. Like the the one of my favorite videos that we've done is the one about the um uh the Archegos uh, collapse or Archegos or Archegos. I've heard it pronounced a bunch of different ways, but there's the Archegos scandal. And I had no idea what a family office was when we started reading this. And essentially, I like read more and more about it. And I was like, oh, what if we essentially did a video about this collapse, but explained what a family office was? Because I had just learned about it. And so I feel like a lot of people would be coming from the same perspective as me. But that took a while to write. It took like 12 minutes to film. But um, writing that and, and making sure that you're accurate, too, which is the important thing, because people want to make sure that you're telling the truth with all this and they're actually learning from it was a huge challenge but um but it also like you know the challenges are what make it fun too at the end of the day timeliness sounds like it's super important for you guys it definitely is for us as well jason has been in italy for quite a while now he actually just got back today thankfully uh-huh. but we've been recording the news and we've been having to turn around pretty darn quickly and yeah. it's been a really interesting and fun experience i know when we weren't doing news the producers really missed it um, it's definitely my, one of my favorite parts. Do you ever find yourself having to try to become like a subject matter expert day of, or do you work with a team to kind of understand those things that maybe you don't understand? Um, like the Archegos being the family office where Bill, uh, what was it? Bill Hewig, Hewang, yeah, something like Hwang. that was trading billions of dollars at like five times leverage. Oh, I mean, that's the best part about working for a media company. I think in the age of this whole like creator economy discussion that's happening right now, I'm very thankful that I work for and with a group of people because with that, as like a somebody who's like trained as a journalist, I guess one of my like biggest worries is that we'll come out with something that's factually wrong or we'll get a piece of a news story incorrect. And God forbid that video like does well or it blows up for the wrong reasons, right? Like people didn't learn something from that. So I am so like, I definitely do not consider myself a subject matter expert on the stories or, I mean, maybe I will after I report on it for a while, but I've been working for Morning Brew now for around six months. And I am so grateful for every moment where I've been able to reach out to Neil or Maddie or Sherry or like Alex Hickey or any of these people that are on our team and basically be like, is this right? Like, am I, is this like a good explanation? I talk to the emerging tech brew people about this all the time. If I like, 
get things right. So um, no, I, I very much lean on our team for to make sure like everything is fact checked. I guess to finalize everything, what specific tips do you have for brands trying to build a presence on TikTok, especially for companies who whose team members have like no experience on the platform, which was yeah. similar to ours. Um, to be honest with you, I'm the one who's trying to get our TikTok up off the ground right now. And I <laughs> yeah. have very Shout little out to the experience. class of 2020. That's like, right, we, we right. get all the TikTok jobs. I feel, right. like, I feel we're, like we're getting the jobs that like all of the millennials were hired as like social media managers when they graduated. Oh my gosh, and was like, yeah. Oh my God, this company's hiring me to be uh, to like run their Twitter account. Right. But then like five years passes by and now like a social media manager is a really important position. Yeah. Advice for brands that are on TikTok. I mean, look, I, I said earlier, collaborate with with other creators as much as you can if you can afford it and i know some people charge a lot but there will be times where no matter how creative you are as a person there will be times where you just have like nothing and you need to pull from something and that's where collaborating with other people creators comes in be okay with with crazy ideas because people appreciate that on t- tiktok's a weird place it is a weird place I w- <laughs> it's 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 such a strange like universe to to hop into and um it's sometimes the craziest ideas like Washington Post does a great job of this. And again, that's a media example, but he's just he's killer on it. His ideas will be so weird and, and they'll be brilliant. Um, so be okay with weird ideas and be consistent too with posting. Also, don't be afraid to experiment. That's four things. And that's a lot. But <laughs> being consistent, obviously, we mentioned that earlier. But what I mean when I say be okay with experimenting is that people get it. If you're a brand and you're out there and you're posting different things and it looks like you're figuring stuff out. Like, that's okay. You don't have to be nervous about, oh, like, they they don't think I'm good or something like that. It's okay. Everybody knows what you're doing. You're posting on TikTok because you want to get more people to see your brand. And that's totally fine. So it's all a part of just being honest on social media and and people will recognize that. So say those are my big pieces of advice. I hope that helps somebody. <laughs> no, those, that's definitely helpful. Like, the morning people. TikTok guy has no idea what he's talking about. No, <laughs> no, you agree. You're you're right though on him. And I would like to say shout out to I think it's Planet Money who has oh another one that they're you know, incredible. like another Planet one who's Money killing is, it. They're they're no, they're amazing. Washington Post, yeah. Planet Money, all those guys. They're they're yeah. they're awesome. You're up there, man. You are you're like my top three for We're sure. Climbing. We're climbing. Thank you for not <laughs> telling me which of what order of that three I'm in, but it's okay. I know I'm in the top three. I appreciate that. What about brands that want to start a TikTok but have no idea how to start it? What advice do you have for them? <laughs> uh talk to somebody who's already on TikTok. Don't go on and be like, oh, maybe we'll figure out TikTok by just watching other TikToks because all that you're going to learn from watching other TikToks is how much time you can waste and how fast time can go by. Talk to somebody who actually uses it and enjoys being on the platform. If you don't have fun, if scrolling on TikTok gives you anxiety, which like I get sometimes, just reach out to somebody who actually enjoys it because there are a lot of people who do and and they'll be more than happy to to give you advice on it because a bunch of brands are on there already. It wouldn't be weird and it wouldn't be awkward for you to hop on it as well. So I guess people have no reason to not make a TikTok account. Is there a reason why TikTok, why Morning Brew has decided to make a TikTok? Or was TikTok just the one area that they haven't really explored? We had not really explored video in general. With TikTok, it was just kind of where everybody was, right? I mean, if this, this past year has been defined by, by anything in social media. It's just that TikTok has exploded and it's really become like one of the most dominant. It's been like the most downloaded social media app for, for something like over a year now. And so when I joined, it was like, it wasn't you, we want you here to make TikToks, but it was like, we need you here to make video. And I was like, well, there's one video platform that's just kind of dominating right now. And literally at one point, Rachel, honestly, I was making like 12 minute, like YouTube long 
things for Instagram. And like nobody was watching those because <laughs> who watches anything like that's 12 minutes on Instagram? So, uh, I mean, but that's just like an example of something that we we <laughs> decided to abandon pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, after a while, I was like, what if I what if I made a TikTok? Actually, the first TikTok that we had that ever went like pseudo viral was made as a promo for a longer video that I did that like nobody watched. But then oh my people watched the TikTok. And so then we were like, this might be this might be what we want to do. So, yeah, that's how that got started. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was super helpful, definitely for me. And I'm sure for everyone listening, I know it's definitely been an experience trying to make this weekend startups kind of um, and establish them on TikTok. So I will be taking a lot of what you said and trying to apply it to our own TikTok account. Totally. Um, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me. I'm at I'm at DH to me pretty much on every platform. So Instagram, Twitter is where I'm at. Um, and TikTok, I have my own account. Fairly, it's like a Morning Brew burner account. And then <laughs> Morning Brew is just at Morning Brew on every platform too. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, no, no problem, Rachel. This is a blast. <laughs> <laughs>